Welcome to the latest word from the church at Severn Run. Our church is located in Severn, Maryland, and is easily accessible from anywhere in the D.C. Baltimore area. You can subscribe for regular updates or check in weekly for the latest information by using our website, severinrun.com. Thank you for visiting. And now, today's message. looking for a sign, right? When it's all said and done, I mean, most people, seriously, in some way, shape, or form, whether it's something small or something big, we wake up, we're looking for a sign. Uh, That's why don't confess who you are. That's why you play your lucky number on the Powerball. Don't confess. Don't don't say it out loud, okay? also, and this one, this one's a little more problematic for me, uh, but that's why lots of people, they get up in the morning and uh, they, uh, they start to check out what their sign says, as if some type of thing in the stars can determine whether your day is going to be good or bad. I'll be honest with you, I don't even know which one I am. Uh, Capricorn's about the only one I know that, like, actually exists. Um, I don't know what the rest of them are. And if you do, keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> but we're always looking for signs, aren't we? It, I remember, I remember being in middle school, okay? And my dad had made this little makeshift basketball goal outside of this little tiny, um, I don't know, apartment place that we were living at the time. And uh, I'd be out there, you know, getting ready to, like, shoot the ball. And as I'd get ready to shoot the ball, I'd think to myself, I'd say to myself, if I make the ne- if I make this next shot, she likes me. <laughs> you're laughing and you're clapping because you've been there, haven't you? Huh? She likes me, and uh, and then of course I would miss that shot, and then that's when it goes the best two out of three. And then you know if you miss the best two out of three, then you got to get the best out of ten. Then it moves on to a best out of a hundred. Then it moves on to the best of a thousand. You become a great basketball player, but she still doesn't like you. We're all looking for signs, aren't we? Like, I mean, whether we admit it or not, this is the type of thing that's going on um, day to day inside of our lives. So I might as well have been born in a church building. My dad's a pastor. He was before I was ever born. That may not be the experience of most of you that's out here today. That's okay. I think we still have some things in common. I think in the story that I'm about to share with you, you'll find that we have some things in common. But I was born, uh, literally, it might as well have been born inside of the church building. In fact, what I discovered as a kid is that an auditorium is the best place you could ever imagine to play hide and go seek. I mean, look around this place, right? Like, how many places would there be to, like, hide and seek? I mean, this is a wonderful place. In fact, I I remember one Monday morning right after a Sunday in which they had forgot and they had left uh, the baptistry filled with water. You know what a pastor kid calls that? A swimming hole. Like, I just jumped right in. I enjoyed myself. I mean, I've probably spent more time inside of a church building than I have uh, maybe inside of any house that I've ever lived in. 
It's just my own personal experience. I knew most all of the Bible stories that you could think of in the Old Testament um, probably by the time I was five years old. My mom and dad will tell you that there used to be this tape of the story of David and Goliath, and I could quote to you that entire tape of that story. There was so much scripture that I had memorized at an early age um, that really, quite frankly, for most people is kind of abnormal. Uh, that's just my experience. That's what I grew up with. But when I was five years old, something pretty dramatic happened to me. I showed up at a church service on a Sunday evening, and we were one of those families that we were there Sunday morning, you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, Thursday night, visitation, Saturday events, then Monday and Tuesday. We were at church all the time. But I'd showed up on this particular Sunday evening, and I was sitting literally, I remember it, right about in this section. No offense to you guys, nothing bad's going to happen, okay? Uh, I was sitting right, uh, right about this section of the auditorium that we were in, and on this Sunday evening, it was going to be an awesome Sunday evening because we weren't going to have to listen to a pastor preach. <laughs> yes! Uh, I will not take that as an offense. <laughs> we were going to watch a movie. And the movie was a movie entitled A Thief in the Night. Now, I want you to think about the title of that movie. I was five years old. Folks, this is a Christian horror film. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? A Thief in the Night Christian Horror. And so I'm sitting out there, and this movie starts. And as the movie starts, here's the opening scene. The opening scene is this young lady, she wakes up one morning. And as she wakes up, she hears sounds going on in the bathroom. And the sounds that are going on in the bathroom are is the shower is running, and her husband's electric razor is also buzzing. She gets up. After trying to get his attention, she walks into the bathroom, and there is no one there. I am, did I mention I was five years old? <laughs> I was completely freaked out. And what had happened is Jesus had come back in the middle of the night, and he had taken all of his followers home, and although she thought she was one, she was not one of his followers. Did I mention I was five years old? <laughs> Sitting right back there? I'm watching this entire thing happen, and I'm thinking, this is a problem. Now, not everybody... Not everybody who's in ministry, not every pastor, what I say in any way, shape, or form is somebody that knows Jesus Christ. Like, it's just the facts, folks. What we as pastors are is no different than what you all are. We're human beings. And we can claim to have a relationship with Jesus and not have one. But my dad, I knew for sure, he had one. And... He is a pastor at the church I was in. My mom, I knew for sure that she had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was sitting out there and I was thinking, you know what? I have never asked Jesus in, to be the leader and forgiver of my life. 
And for a five-year-old, that is very traumatic when you think that in the middle of the night, mom and dad could be gone. <laughs> okay? Can I tell you what really bothered me? It really wasn't mom and dad's disappearance. It was more about the fact that I didn't know where I was going to get my Fruit Loops the next morning. Anybody love some Fruit Loops up in here? Well, this is one of my favorite cereals. And uh, at five years old, like, all I was thinking about was I'm not going to get my Fruit Loops. And so, sure enough, I was like, I need Jesus. <laughs> the response time came, and I tugged on my mom, and I said, Mom, I got to go. I got to go forward. I need Jesus. And I came running down to the front, and I grabbed my dad. And I said, Dad, tell me about Jesus. As if I didn't already know at this stage, my dad takes me back there. He explains to me the basics of this entire deal. He explains to me the fact that, you know what, I'm broken. I'm messed up. And I said, Dad, I know I am. I'm five years old. I am evil. <laughs> I should never have told on my sister who was out there sitting in the dog food eating it. I should never have told on that. I hope she's listening today. Here's the thing. I was like, I know I'm broken. I know I've messed up. I know I've not done well. And my dad's like, yeah, I know you haven't either. And he said, but you know what? Jesus came. He came to show us the right way to do things. He came to die for us. And then once he was dead, he, he came back from the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and he lives, and John, he can be your leader. I'm like, bring it on. I need my Fruit Loops. <laughs> Dad didn't think I was ready. Can you imagine why? <laughs> and he sent me back. He sent me back uh, to my mom. But, folks, I don't give up easily, especially when there's Fruit Loops involved. And I said, I'm sitting back there, and I'm like, Mom, 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 I got to go forward again. I need to see Dad like he doesn't understand. And so I came forward. Dad explained it all to me again. He didn't think I got it. He sent me back to Mom again. Thank God for the days when the invitation response time lasted for five hours. <laughs> How many of you have been in church and you know what that feels like, huh? I'm telling you what, it just kept going and going and going. And by the way, thank God those days are over. But worked for me. I came back forward. I came back forward and I, I, I said, Dad. And at this point, Dad's like, I just give up. <laughs> like, let, let, let's come to Jesus. And you know what? I will say this. I made my first serious significant step toward Jesus that day. I made my first step toward him in a real and very significant way. And then I just kept living the life. By the time I was in middle school, I was the church pianist. You know, who's got that on their resume? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I was the church pianist. And then I was serving in any way, in any way, in any capacity that I could possibly find to serve. In the summers, I was involved in camp. And by the time I'm 19, I'm in a Christian college, the world's largest uh, Christian university. I'm there, and then I find my way onto staff of one of America's largest churches at 19 years old, just like serving uh, and being a children's pastor, the third, fourth, and fifth graders. I had my whole life planned, but when I was eight, God had told me that I was going to go into full-time ministry. I knew exactly what I was going to do. 
I knew exactly what it is that I wanted to accomplish. It was all planned. It was all good. And then it happened. Anybody ever been there? You had your whole life planned? You knew exactly how it was supposed to go? Whether you've been in church or not, I bet you I'm identifying with you now, right? Whether you just knew this is how life is supposed to be, this is what's supposed to happen, and then it happens. That thing drops into your life, and it's like an atomic bomb going off. For me, it was the fact that there was this young lady that, quite frankly, I'd been incredibly fond of. Since I was in middle school, and we had dated on and off, and by the time we had started dating while I was in college, I thought that she was the love of my life. I thought that she was kind of the answer to everything, and she was going to go ahead and round my life off and perfect it. Until one day she told me, you know what, you're not the love of my life. Ouch. I'm not going to lie to you. That hurts. Like, that's not any fun. So sure enough, she ended it. And I'm not kidding. Like, I mean, I tried some more because, remember, I'm persistent. She ended it. And I was crushed. And it was over. I started to ask all kinds of questions. Anybody ever been there, done that? Ask all kinds of questions and talk to God and ask all kinds of questions. That's where I was. And you know what? God doesn't mind you asking questions. In fact, go back to the psalmist David. And as you read the psalms, you'll discover, man, you want to talk about a question asker. This guy asked more questions of God than anybody that ever existed on the planet. On, every, on any given day, he must have fired 100 questions of God. Why? God does not mind asking you Why? But also, God does not mind giving you answers you don't want to hear. And God also does not mind not giving you any answers at all. God just likes trust. So I'm asking all these questions. These questions lead me down a deeper, a darker path. And as I'm walking down this deeper and darker path, I finally come to the point where I do not believe that God exists. Now, when you're on staff at one of the largest churches in America as a children's pastor, can I just say that's a problem? You don't believe God exists? You're getting up and you're teaching and you're preaching and you're sharing about him every day, but you don't believe God exists? That's a problem. Can I tell you that when you're in seminary and, you're, and your degree is called biblical studies and you don't believe God exists? That's a problem. And so I took this deep, dark secret, and I just kind of shoved it back in the corner. And I kept it quiet, and I only ever shared it with one person. One person. That was my, that was my uh, best friend's girlfriend. She happens to be my wife today. But um, <laughs> that's a different story. I'll share that some other time. <laughs> She's the only person I shared it with, and she... She loved me through it, as you can tell. <laughs> but I kept it quiet, like nobody knew. I was, I was a closet atheist. And after about a year of this, I figured out that this wasn't going to work. 
Like, you can't, like, go into full-time Christian ministry and not believe God exists. You cannot uh, pursue biblical studies as a degree and not believe that God exists. I was troubled. And so I decided at that stage, about a year into this, that I would just, like, dive in. And I wanted to find out what did exist, if anything existed at all. And I began to read every single thing that I could possibly get my hands on. The closest I got, ever got to believing something different was actually Buddhism. I read seven books by the Dalai Lama. And it felt like every time like he would get me right to the edge, but I just wasn't willing to jump off because it was like something was missing. I didn't know what it was for sure. And so as I continued to make this pursuit, I um, began to look at God and say, God, hey, listen, I need a sign. Show me something. Show me something that will give me some type of hope if you are real. And you know what I discovered is that I'm exactly like these guys in Matthew chapter 12 where we arrive at today, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. I was exactly like these guys called the Pharisees. I told you a little bit about them last week. These were guys that uh, they had grown up. They knew everything that there was to know about Scripture. They knew everything that there was to know about their religion. They were powerful people. By the time they were in middle school, most of them had memorized the Torah. They knew the stories inside and out. And here's what they do. They show up with Jesus, and they say, they say, one day some teachers of religious law, beginning in verse 38, one day uh, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. We want you to show us. Did I mention that in, in, in the previous portion of this chapter that there's already been demon-possessed people that have not demon-possessed because of Jesus? That in the previous part of this chapter there's already been lame people that have actually been healed? Like, they've already seen a ton of stinking miracles, the same group. And now they're coming before Jesus and they're saying, hey, listen, here's what I want, is I want a sign for you to prove your authority. Show me a sign. How many of us are looking for that, right? Many of us, you might have come here today and you don't have the same experience as I did. You came from a, 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 from a background this morning that is a background that says, hey, um, I, I don't know, I'm looking, I'm searching. I just showed up here, here today because I was hoping to see a sign. Some of us, we've, we've been, you've been in my background and you get it, you understand it, but you're still kind of like looking for a sign. God, show me something that, that is absolutely real. Show me something finally that is miraculous. And we forget all the other places where God's got us out of the, the, the bad pinch we were in already, right? How he's already come through for us a few, well, let me go ahead and say it. If you're five years old, God's already come through with you, for you about 5,000 times. What does that mean if you're 50 years old? We still look for signs. He's, they said, I want a sign to prove your authority. I want a sign to prove that you love us. I want a sign to prove that you've got a plan for my life. 
is how we might put it this morning. But Jesus replied, only, this is Jesus' words, not mine, only an evil, an adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. Wow. He said, if I haven't given you enough signs up until now, then what does that make you? He said, only an evil and and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign that I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. They knew exactly what Jonah, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about at this point. Because they knew the story of Jonah. Real quick, story of Jonah. Jonah was one of the Old Testament prophets. Prophet was one of those individuals that God called upon to go and to tell the truth to his people. Sometimes he gave them the ability to be able to forecast or to be able to see the future. God came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to tell them how evil they are. And when you tell them and preach to them how evil they are, everybody in the city is going to come and they are going to lay down their lives and say, I'm sorry, God, they are going to repent and they are going to follow after me from this point on. That is a good gig for a preacher if you can get it. Right? Like to know that you can get up in front of a group of people and there's going to be a 100% salvation rate? That's awesome. Jonah said, no, I don't want to do this because he hated the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh, they were known as they would go out and they would conquer other cities, as they would conquer other territories. They would bring people either into slavery or they would torture and kill them. Most of the ones that got tortured and killed were women and children. Those that were considered to be productive slaves, rings would be put through their noses, chains would be tied to those rings, and that's how they would be drug around. They were evil folk. And more than likely, Jonah even had family members or friends that at some point had been hurt and destroyed by Ninevites. He said, I don't want to go. So sure enough, Jonah did. He missed the first lesson that you learn if you're in one of our classes here as a, as, as a kid on Sunday morning here at the Church of Severn Run. One of the first things that we teach you is that God is everywhere. You cannot escape him. He sees you. He knows your heart. He knows everything. Jonah's like, hey, forget that lesson. I'm going to go. I'm going to run. Jonah goes. He gets down in the bottom of a boat. He gets down in the bottom of the boat, and as he gets down in the bottom of the boat, running from God, there's a big storm that comes up. And when you run from God, big storms come up. And a big storm comes up, and he is sound asleep, and he is good to go. And all of a sudden, the captains and the, and, the, and the sailors, they're running around figuring out what to do. One of the sailors finds Jonah down in the bottom of the boat. He wakes Jonah up. He says, what are you doing? It's all hands on deck scenario. Get up here and uh, help us bail some water. And Jonah says, I'll help you even do better than that. All you got to do is throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. Jonah was suicidal. And that's not a joke. He would rather die. And when you keep those deep, dark secrets and you run in that way, guess what? You get to that point where you would rather die. Jonah would rather die than face what is about to transpire in his life. 
captain and the sailors, they didn't care. They just wanted the storm to stop. They grabbed him by the wrist. They grabbed him by the ankles. One, two, three. And Jonah goes airborne over the side of the boat, flipping and flopping in the air. Five, four, three, two, one. Splash down. Best belly flop in human history. He splashes down, and he doesn't even try to save himself. He just starts to sink, and he's thinking, I've got this thing now. God can't get me. I just killed myself. I don't have to go to Nineveh. Until the big fish came along, and it swallowed him, and he's up inside of the belly of a big old fish. And I ain't going to lie to you, I can think of a lot of places in the world that I've been that I don't want to be, but one place I never want to be is up inside the belly of a big old fish. It's got to stink up in there, right? It can't be too pleasant. I mean, I don't think God set this up like as a penthouse suite at the Waldorf Astoria. He is like hunkered down. Day one goes by. He doesn't ask for anything. Day two goes by. He doesn't say a word. Day three goes by. Dear God, can I please get out? Took him longer than it would have taken me. I'll just go ahead and tell you. And I'm stubborn, as we've already seen. Can I please get out? God said, you sure can. All you got to do is go to Nineveh. Oh. I'll go to Nineveh. God takes him up, fish throws him up on the sand, and he's got all the stuff that comes with fish throw up. Just close your eyes and visualize that for a moment. <laughs> it's a beautiful experience. He goes to Nineveh, and exactly what God says is going to happen happens. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees in this story, and he says, hey, listen, uh, by the way, um, he says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and for three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights. He says, you want your sign? I'll give you your sign. It's all about this guy who's going to go into the deepest, darkest places on behalf of you, and then we'll come back. He will come back. And there I was, looking for my own sign, and I sat down inside of a classroom with what I did not know this at the time was one of the world's foremost experts on the resurrection. First day of class. He gets up, he stands up in front of us, and he says this. He says, there is more written, documented evidence that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Then there is that John Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln. Like, let that sink in for just a second. And I repeat, this nutty professor said that there is more written, documented, eyewitness testimony evidence to the fact that Jesus Christ literally rose again from the dead in three days then there is that John Wilkes Booth killed Abraham Lincoln. How many of you in here today, you believe that, Jesus, that, you believe that John Wilkes Booth kill, killed Abraham Lincoln? 
The rest of you are conspiracy theorists, and that's... <laughs> I got, your, your type is out there. That's okay. Jesus loves you too. I'm sitting there in that classroom as a non-believer, as a person who has completely rejected everything that I've grown up in, every story that I've ever heard, and I'm thinking to myself, sir, you are full of it. And I probably wasn't thinking it that nicely because of how far I was away from God. And I determined that every single stinking day of that, of that classroom, that semester for me, was going to be about showing up to class and totally proving that this guy was nuts. I didn't know I was up against one of the world's foremost experts. When they give you... The, the, when they give you the syllabus that shows you all the books that you're supposed to read, I read, all the, I read the bibliography of, located in the back of all the books I was supposed to read because I wanted to just show this guy was nuts. And every day I would leave this classroom and I'd start to have to deal with this idea and this evidence that there is, this is not some crazy story. And I know it feels like it's one of the most crazy stories in all of human history, right? That we sitting in here, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, uh, that we actually believe that, there's, that, that he died and that he rose again on the third day. That's crazy town. I mean, it is. If you just think about it through logic... But the truth is, if you follow the logic to its nth degree, you'll find out it's real. And day after day after day, as I try to like prove it wasn't, I couldn't do it. I was stuck over and over again with this fact that there might be, there really is, maybe, yes, I see it, a resurrected Jesus who is alive and who is well. I'll never forget the day in one particular class. This professor had been one of the ones that had actually studied the Shroud of Turin when it was released by the Catholic Church many years back. He actually got to see it, touch it, study it physically. And he was giving his lecture on the Shroud of Turin. If you don't know what that is, watch the History Channel at Easter. You'll know exactly what it is. In fact, you'll see him interviewed on the History Channel at Easter. And he is giving us these facts and this evidence, and the craziest part is he's standing there looking at us and saying, hey, I don't believe that this is really the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in. I'm just going to give you some evidence. Let you decide. He wasn't trying to shove it down our throats or anything like that. He actually didn't believe it. And I got up out of class, halfway through the class, because I knew there was no way any longer that I could argue with this. I got up out of class, and after a year and a half of loneliness and brokenness and darkness, I walked out and found the darkest place that I could possibly find so that I could come back to the light. I got into a corner, and I cried. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I said, Jesus... If you're resurrected, everything else is meal and void to me. It's the only sign I ever needed. It's the only sign the Pharisees needed. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, it's the only sign you need. Get rid of all these other signs. The only sign that you need to know that Jesus loves you is the fact that he rose again from the dead. 
The only sign that you need that he's got a plan for your life and he can do something with your life is that he rose again from the dead. If he can rise again from the dead, so can your finances, so can your relationships. So can all the brokenness that exists inside of you. If Jesus rose from the dead, it's the only sign you'll ever need. As we as a creative team and staff were kind of talking about this, we were thought, you know, there's a lot of irony in the fact that there's, there's not a lot of symbolism when it comes to the resurrection. When you look at it. I mean, for the crucifixion, we've got what? The cross, right? So when we see the cross, we think of the crucifixion. But what do you, like, visualize? What do you see from a symbolic point of view when you think of the resurrection? Like, there's not a lot of out there. And so we, like, went back to Scripture, and we tried to figure this out. And the only thing, the closest thing that we could come to finding a sign was the empty cloth that Jesus nicely folded up, threw down, and said, I'm out of here. Death, you have not beat me. You have not beat me. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll just go ahead and tell you this. He folded it up and he said, I'm out of here. And you can fold up whatever's in your life if you decide to follow Jesus and say, I'm out of here. Because whatever has a hold of you, whatever has you captured, whatever has you beat, whatever has you destroyed, you're out of there. Through the power of a resurrected Jesus. I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. How many of you in here today, you, you look and you'd say, hey, listen, you know what? I, uh, I came in here today, and I, honestly, I was looking for a sign, and I am looking for a sign right now in my life. You just be straightforward. I've been there, done that. I shared that with you today. Would you just lift up your hand and just say, hey, listen, that's me. I came looking for a sign. I came looking for something that would just say, hey. Well, folks, can I just tell you that the empty tomb is all you need. It's all the sign that's ever needed. I'm going to ask if our care team, our prayer partners, if they would come down this morning and Join us, and I'm going to ask if you, the rest of you, would you just stand up where you are? Maybe you want to talk to somebody. Maybe you want to just kind of share with somebody what it is that's going on in your life, and you just need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to talk you through it. Maybe you just want to come down. You don't want to. You don't want to talk to anybody down here. That's fine too. Walk right on past them. Just kneel down. Just stand here. Just. Do business with God. But I just want to tell you, you don't need a sign. It's already been given. The resurrection is it. He's real. He can change everything that you've got going on, whether it is the fact that you don't even know if God exists. Pursue the resurrection. Pursue it. I promise you, you'll end up in the middle of an empty tomb. Or maybe it's the fact that, listen, you're far from God right now. Remember the power of the resurrection that he's given you to defeat every dead thing in your life. Lord Jesus, today I pray that just lives would be both encouraged and I pray that lives would be changed. That you would do something new 
with us. I pray, God, that what you would do is cause every single one of us just to come back to the empty tomb, to see it and to experience it for what it is and allow its power to reign supreme. In any area of our lives today, God, that we need to be resurrected, I pray that you would do that for us because we would look to you and what you've done for us as the ultimate example of life, leadership, and power. Resurrect us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at the Church at Severn Run. Please visit our website at severnrun.com for church service information, staff directories, or for prayer requests. And if you're in the D.C. Baltimore area, we'd love to have you join us at 8187 Telegraph Road in Severn, Maryland. We look forward to worshiping with you.